We're going to be in First uh, Corinthians chapter number four. First Corinthians chapter number four. So we've been looking at First Corinthians, and uh, I know it's a review every week, but not everybody hears it. But in First Corinthians, Paul is addressing some of the problems in the church, and one of the first problems that he addresses in the church was the division that was happening. You say, "Well, I know that, brother Keith." Well, that's where we are. He was addressing some of the divisions that were happening in the church, and one of them was that they were lining up behind the different leaders, behind the different apostles, and then they were beginning, that was causing division among them, because some, look over here with me, we'll hit it again, over in uh, verse number 11 of, first, of chapter number 1. Paul says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So Paul's heard about the contentions. Even though he's not there, he was talking to somebody, and they said, Yeah, that church at Corinth, this is what's going on there, Paul. I don't know. There's some that are lining up. He says, verse number 12, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. They were lining up behind the different preachers. You know, we kind of do that today. It's like, well, this preacher, we'll line up behind a mechanic. I was on Nextdoor app, you know, and uh, normally I don't, I, had, I don't even post on there. But somebody said, can somebody recommend a good mechanic? Oh, I couldn't get to the app fast enough. <laughs> I mean, when you find somebody that you like, you, you want people to know about them, right? Well, this was in the, in the church. They were lining up behind the apostle that they liked. They were lining up behind Paul. They were lining up behind Cephas. They were lining up behind Apollos. But here's the problem. They're all in the same church. This is early on in the church, but they're all in the same church, but they're starting to line up behind different people. What happens when that happens? You don't have unity. It's division taking place. So Paul addresses, you know, mainly in the first three chapters, he's addressing this issue. And he addresses the issue just by way of review. Uh, verse number 15, he says, Let's think. he said, I, I thank God that I've, verse number 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized my own name. And Paul spends the next three chapters, and you can go back and listen to the sermons. I think one of them's missing, but you can go back and listen to the sermons and uh you can see how he addresses this. And the thing that he does is he pulls himself out of the way. He says, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. You know, we want to line up behind a man that we can respect. We want to line up, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't. But we want to line up behind that one. It's, that's the star there. That's the, the movie star. That's the, that's the one we want to follow, you know. And they'll line up behind that and associate themselves with it. And Paul said, no, you're supposed to be lining up behind Christ. He says, uh, first he talks about the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God. And he breaks that down. And then he talks about how he came to preach, verse number two, uh, chapter number two. He said, and I, brethren, came not to you. I came to you not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul explained that when he came to him, he didn't come to preach about himself. He didn't come to use his wisdom to impress him. He came to preach Christ and him crucified. We're learning about witnessing in Sunday school, right? We're learning how to witness. And you know the thing about the 
witnessing. You have the lifestyle evangelism. Most of y'all didn't know what that was. Lifestyle evangelism. Come on over to my house. Let me show you what a Christian I am. Let's have a barbecue and let's be friends. And, and one day, maybe you'll ask me about the hope that lies within me. That's the lifestyle evangelism, right? But then in the script, the, the fellow passed away before he, he was just about ready to break the ice with him and the fellow passed away in the uh, script. I almost lost my track on that. But in witnessing, in witnessing, our purpose ought to be to point someone to Jesus Christ. You know, we tell them about the hope that lies within us, but what is the hope that lies within you? It should be Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, the law points out our sin. The law shows us where we stand before God. We stand before God on the day of judgment. Would you be guilty or innocent? We stand before God on the day of judgment, and we realize that we're sinners. As the old sermon goes, sinners in the hands of an angry God. But we're standing before God on the day of judgment and and be guilty or innocent, go to heaven or hell. Paul, let them know how to have that relationship with God, how to have eternal life. I came to preach to you Christ crucified. I didn't come to preach to you Aristotle. I didn't come to preach to you Diocletian or, or some Greek philosophy. I came to preach to you Christ and him crucified. And he said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. It's okay to be afraid. Paul was afraid. And then when you go down into, and this is just by way of review in the introduction, he's talking about the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And in verse number 10, God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. And he said, uh, verse number 9, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love them. And then he says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. And the thing about spiritual knowledge versus head knowledge is, One comes from above, the other comes from your own experiences. Your experiences are limited by what you've lived. I mean, you go to the faucet, you turn it on, and it's hot water. You have an experience that when you turn this knob, it's hot water. In your own life, you say, well, I said to this one person this one real clever thing, and it really worked with them. Well, I mean, God who has the knowledge of eternity (laughs) knows why that worked or you know, but we, we think we're clever in ourselves. But it says, for what man knoweth, verse number 11, for what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. And he said, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And then verse number 14 narrows it down. Again, this is by way of review. It says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And by way of review, coming to this Bible, coming to it wanting God to show you, wanting God to open up his word to you, and and walking in the Spirit, staying in fellowship with the Lord. It's not just a matter of doing this outward appearance of things, but it's a matter of letting God teach you things. Y'all follow me on that? I didn't get too far off track here. I know. But, you know, I made it a whole statement this time, so I don't just throw it out like a comma. You follow me? All right. And in chapter number three, 
Paul says, And our brethren cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And this gets us back to the heart of what Paul was talking about in these first three chapters, that division that was taking place. He says, verse number three, For are you yet carnal? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? There's going to be things that you do in your life. If you're walking with the world, it's going to interfere with your walk with God. If you're creating division in a church or you're creating a division in a body of Christ, it's going to cause, it's going to block you from the things that God wants to show you. It says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love them. You stay in fellowship with God. But they were carnal. They, they were lining up between behind men and God wasn't able to show them things. So he said, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? And he says, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Now to cut this short and to not redo the whole sermon, we can jump from there and go to chapter number four. Because he says, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. And hang on to that. So chapter number four, there's other things in chapter number three, but we want to focus on the ministers. Paul is a minister. He says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now there's a responsibility there. Paul says, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I want to tell you something. Y'all like this part. I know you like this part. When I say the preacher isn't any better than you. And man, yes, yeah, there's Charlie. He's jumping up. He's, yeah, you ain't no better than me. <laughs> and I get it. I mean, my God, if I had to be the total standard for which you went by, we'd be, we'd be shooting the bar pretty low. Our standard is Jesus Christ. But Paul says his standard, he says we're stewards. Now, we, you know, you look at it, that's an old word, steward. What does that mean? Well, we have some stewardesses in our church. We have, there's stewards on railroads or in ships, and their job is to take care of the passengers. Amen. Their job is to, to have stuff ready, to be able to answer questions, to be able to show them what they need to know, to be able to show them where to exit on the plane. I won't carry it too far. I won't point everybody out, but, you know, know where the exits are. Know where to put the mask on yourself first, all those things. Know what to do in an emergency. And uh, I've, I've been told you have training where you, where you have to evacuate people within a certain amount of time, right? It's steward. You have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders as stewards or as stewardesses. And Paul says... Let a man so account of us as, minister, as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul says it be counted as a steward. There's a responsibility in that. Remember Jesus told the parable of the, of the man who had the, had the field and he gave them all responsibilities and he went away for a season and he came back and had them give an account. He gave them a talent, you know, gave them a certain number of talents. And when he came back, he... He judged them by what they did with that talent. You know, the one guy said, I knew you were a harsh man, so I hang on to it. Here's the talent you gave me. He said, you could have put it in the bank 
and got more out of it than what you're doing just handing it. You knew that I made money where I didn't uh, work. You could have at least put it in the bank and done more with it. So stewards of the mysteries of God. Now let's look at that mysteries of God because here's where, yeah, I'm going to say it. Here's where the King James Bible can shine. I took the wind out. All right, 1 Timothy 3.16. There's some mysteries that the Bible talks about. You know, letting the Bible talk about the Bible, letting the, letting the Bible define the Bible. You know, we could get into mysteries and we could come up with all kinds of things. But when we go into the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16. And it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So here's a mystery. God manifest in the flesh. Or as the message Bible says, God moved into the neighborhood. You might have to edit that, Matt. I don't want to even. <laughs> but God manifest in the flesh. You know, the creator of this universe came down to this earth. That's a mystery. Why would he do that? Why would he care enough? You know what our life is? It's nothing but a vapor. I mean, we're not any more important than the grass on the ground. But God thinks enough of us to send his son to die for our sins so that we can join him in heaven. And that's one of the mysteries. And Paul's talking about being a steward of these mysteries. These things, if they were preached all the time, the gospel would be spread. I mean, you know, there's solid doctrine and things like that. But uh, said God manifests in the flesh. Look over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. You might want to write these down. Colossians chapter number 1, verse 27. I should have put my tabs. Colossians chapter number 1, verse 27. Mystery number two, and this is Christ in you, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you get saved, you're down here on this earth, Christ is in heaven, but when you're saved, Christ is in you. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, Christ is in you when you get saved. Am I being complicated about it? Because it's a mystery. How can God do that? It's through his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you know, you see the wind, you hear it, but you can't tell where it comes from. You don't know why it blows. We have the Holy Spirit. I don't understand how it happens. It's a mystery, but we receive the Holy Spirit when we get saved. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 32. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 32. He says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
And what is that mystery concerning Christ in the church? Look at verse number 30. It says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Christ is in us, but we are also in Christ. We are part of his body. Now, how does that work? Well, as a church body, we're all one together, right? That's why Paul's preaching to the Corinthians. Just to take you back to where we were, Paul was preaching against division in the church, against them lining up behind men. So if Christ, Christ is in us when we're saved, but we are in Christ also. It sounds a little mysterious, doesn't it? Look at, uh, and that's mystery number three. Look at mystery number four. Romans eleven twenty four five. Romans eleven twenty five. Now I know this is verse snatching, but we're just going toward where it talks about mysteries. He says, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Okay, what is the mystery? That blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now, when we read the Bible, we see that Jesus came for the Jews. Jesus came to this earth, and when, when the time came, when he sent out the disciples, he said, go to the lost, the house the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When the woman came to be healed and, and she, she wanted, I think she wanted her daughter healed. She said, he said, it's not fit to give the meat, the children's meat to dogs because she was a Gentile. And she said, yeah, Lord, but the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. And, and Jesus was there for the Jew. And then in the book of Acts, we see that they finally reject him. They, they rejected him. They, they, they sent him before Pilate. They sent him up there. They said, send us Barabbas. And uh, he said, what about this man, Jesus? He's innocent. They said, crucify him. And he said, uh, he talked about the innocent blood. He said, they said, his blood be on us and our children. And in the book of Acts, they were still witnessing the Jews. When you get to Acts chapter number two, that's all that was present was Jews. They were there at the day of Pentecost, at the feast of Pentecost, and they were witnessing to them. And uh, then as it progresses through, you see where God moves from the Jew to witnessing to the Gentile. Paul comes along and he says, you'll be a witness to me to the Gentiles over in Acts chapter number nine when he's on the Damascus road. Do y'all want to look at that? We've been there once or twice, but anyway, I don't, I don't think we need to go to it. You can look at Acts chapter number 9. I think it's around verse number 24, 25, if I can see it on the page right. But uh, you see that the gospel begins to go to the Gentiles. But uh, here in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, he said that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So there's going to be a time, there's blindness in part. They don't understand Jesus Christ as a whole, as individuals that the Jewish people still get saved and come to Christ. But look what the Bible says. 
And so shall all Israel be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Sion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Now, there's, there is a group of people that teach, well, God's cast off the Jewish people. And it, yes, he says, God's cast off the Jewish people. Now it's all gone to the Gentiles and the Gospels to the Gentile. And now we're all spiritual Jews. And they'll go into Romans chapter number two. They'll go into Romans chapter number two and say, uh, Verse number 28, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And they'll say that God has cast off the Jew, that it's only to the Gentile, and he's through with them. He's not. And that's a mystery. Why God chose the Jewish people and why he stays with the Jewish people. There'll be a time when all Israel should be saved. And if preachers were preaching these mysteries, there wouldn't be this confusion. Amen. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And we're talking about mystery stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul's talking about what they preach. He preaches Christ crucified, but also the mysteries. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Verse number 51. You know, there's, there's times when I'm preaching and I get a lot of Keith in there. And then there's other times when it's just Bible and it's like, I can't help you if you get, if you get mad at me on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 51. The mystery of the rapture says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You can hang that up in a nursery. Amen. They may not all sleep, but they'll all be changed. It said, uh, but to bring it back to the Bible, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Incorruptible, incorruptible. The aches and pains gone. That Versailles is gone. Whatever other names are out there and the older I get, the more I acquire some of them. But, uh, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So it's the mystery of the rapture. Nobody's ever seen it happen. And it's hard. Preachers been preaching about it for years. You know, and the Bible talks about it. They'll say, where, lo, where is the promise of his coming? For since our fathers, you know, they foretold. And it hadn't happened yet. And it's a mystery. But, but we just, either you believe the Bible or you don't. And if you don't believe the Bible, then you probably don't believe Christ. You don't, believe, you don't trust Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is the only thing that we have that tells us of Jesus Christ. But the more that you let, and this, let's go back. This is for free. Let's go back to chapter number, chapter number 2 in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, but when it talks about the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for there is foolishness unto him. I mean, this is foolishness. 
Nobody's ever seen a rapture. We've talked about We've had movies about it. We've had, you know, well, if it was in a movie, it's got to be true, right? But it's in our Bible, and God tells us that it's going to happen, and we have to take his word for it. That this corruptible will put on incorruption. That's a good thing to know because when they put you in the ground, it, it turns to dust. It goes to trash. There's some that are in the sea that were lost forever. It amazed me, you know, when they first showed the pictures of the Titanic. There was a boot. Nothing in the boot. There was something in the boot when it was first there. But it's gone. Those bodies are dissolved. Those bones are washed away. But one day, God will pull them all up. You look over in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I ought to be able to grab it better than that. But it talked about, talked about uh, the dead in Christ rising first. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51, the mystery of the rapture. And then the final mystery, Revelation chapter 17. And we'll hit this eventually in our Tuesday night Bible study. But I'm just going to throw it out here without comment. It says verse number 5, Revelation chapter 17, verse number 5. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw a woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So there's another mystery. So going back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, he said, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And... And I'll tell you, not just preachers, but as Christians, you can get caught up in talking about so many other things, but there's things in the Bible that God's laid out for us to understand, doctrine for us to understand. And uh, when you neglect that doctrine, you leave people on a sea, a wash, to be caught up by somebody else that can speak with authority. So when we're reading our Bible, we, we get more out of it than just, you know, meat for the day. But God gives us guidance for the day. God gives us comfort. God gives us direction. He also gives us that understanding of what it takes to maintain that fellowship with him. You'll always forever and ever hear me preach about fellowship because I know what it is to get out of fellowship with God, and it's not a pleasant place. And let me tell you something else. It's a, it's a lot harder to row back upstream when you get out of fellowship with God, then you think it is. You think, well, I'll get out of fellowship with God, I'll get back. It's not going to be like that. That innocence you knew when you first got saved, oh, this gets kicked out the pulpit. That innocence you knew when you first got saved, you're you going to have to crawl back over some glass to get back. It's with God's help. You don't do it by yourself. You know, the Bible says, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. I love the illustration. I'll evermore give it. Take a step, God takes a step. You take another step, God takes a step. You step back, God will say, well. And you say, where do you get that from? Well, James says, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. You know, we're, we're to maintain that fellowship. Walk in, the, walk in the spirit, you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It says over in Galatians chapter number five. Those things, you, you get into the world, whoever, whosoever is a friend of the world is an enmity with God. 
A woman asked me one time in, in uh, Sunday school, well, do you really think that, that they're an enemy of God? Well, I think that's what the Bible just said. I mean, are you with him? So let's look at this. We got to verse number two, and we're about out of time. But he says, verse number three, but with me it is a very small thing. Let's see, verse number two. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, the Bible says just as much by what it doesn't say as by what it says. He said it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You have a steward that's taking care of something, taking care of your property, taking care of you on a plane, taking care of you uh, on a ship, taking care of you wherever. You want them to be faithful to do their job. Amen. You want the pastor to be faithful to do his job. And let me tell you something. That doesn't let you off the hook as Christians. People out there in the world, whether they know it or not, they're relying on you to do your job, to be faithful to Jesus Christ. They want to look to you when that storm comes. They want to look to you when they have questions. As the Bible said, be ready to give every man an answer for the hope that lies within you. He said, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know what it doesn't say there? Successful. It doesn't require you to be successful. Now, that's harsh. Because in our world, success... Well, it's success, right? Success means I succeeded. I did this. And that's, you know, that's a mystery in itself. The fact that in our weakness, God is made, we're made strong because it drives us to our knees. Who did I hear that from? I heard it from the preacher on the way this morning. I mean, when you, no, it was Ray Comfort, wasn't it? Thank you. I, I, I get confused. But he's right. His fear, his fear when it came to witnessing and things like that, it caused him to pray. That fear, that, that uh, fear that something's not going to work out, that's all right. It makes you turn to God, right? Somebody said, well, I didn't turn to him when things were going well. I ain't going to turn to him now when I'm down on my back with cancer and about to die. Why? Now's your opportunity. You're a bigger hypocrite now than you were before. Because now, you're, now when you've been shown that you're at the end of your rope, that you can't do nothing, that your life is just a vapor, that you're just a blade of grass, it gets cut down next season. When, when you're at that point, you still won't acknowledge God? You're a bigger hypocrite than the one who's, who's got everything going for him. Because God has just showed you who's in control. God has just showed you that you just ain't quite as much in control as you are. And if you're not going to turn to him now, then I don't know what to tell you. Isn't that a sweet twist on it? Because I heard, oh, I never turn people in the rest of my life. I ain't going to turn to them now and be a hypocrite. No, you're a hypocrite now. Put that twist on it. He says, be found faithful, not successful. We desire to be successful. We want to see results. And I get that. Uh, there was a, uh, Missionary, I heard on the on the internet, whatever that I listened to, but uh, he was a missionary and he'd gone to 
I hate when I butcher these. Should have been written down, but I like just preaching straight from the Bible. He went to a place and began a ministry, and he was witnessing to somebody in their own language, and he's telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they said, oh, yeah, I know that. And he said, well, how do you know that? And he said, Bobby told me. Whatever the name is, you put any name there you want. He said, Bobby told me. And as they go around and they're witnessing these people, it all comes back to this one guy. It keeps coming back to this one guy, and he's a native there. Well, come to find out that as they taught these people, this one guy, and as they talked to him, he told them about a missionary that had come and witnessed, gave him the gospel. And they went and found that missionary and talked to him, and he said, yeah, I was out there for 30 years, you know. He said, and all that time I spent out there, I was only able to lead one man to Jesus Christ. Y'all get that? He was faithful. 30 years he was faithful. All I was able to do was win one man to Jesus Christ. And here it is 30 years later, and everybody they go to, oh, yeah, Bobby told me about starting churches and all of that. That doesn't mean, you know, that you just go to one person and say, well, yeah, that's it, Lord, you bless them. I pray they have a good minute. No. But don't get discouraged by the lack of results or, or, or by two. Don't, don't get your head puffed up with too many results. Be faithful. Be faithful to do what God has for you. When you set up your expectations and they fall short, then you're going to be mad. It's those expectations that'll kill you. It's like, well, I'm, I got this goal, this goal, this goal. I'm going to reach this, reach this, reach this. And you don't reach it, and you say, well, I guess it ain't working. You ain't faithful. You just walked away. You want to be faithful to do what God says. That seemed like a good place to stop. And we'll, we'll, we'll start there next week. And let me just ask, have you ever reached a point in your life where you said, I know I can't do it on my own. I know that I can't get to heaven. I know that if I stood before God on the day of judgment, I know I would be guilty. And being guilty, knowing that there is a place of torment, knowing, knowing that there's a place called hell. Some people just aren't sure. They say, well, I'm just not even sure about that. Well, I can stand on a railroad track, and a train could be coming from a mile away, and I could stand there and say, that train ain't going to come. I can keep standing there. I might hear the roar. I might hear it getting closer, and I can say, it ain't coming. I got It ain't coming. Eventually, that train's going to make contact. Two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Once to die, we get one life, and after this, the judgment. How will that life end for you? How will it start again? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you all stand.